But more on that in a few minutes. A couple of things on that Saturday game. Number one, for all you that hate the pitch clock, and I don't know, have you come around on the pitch clock or are you still kind of lukewarm to it, Pete? Uh, there's some really good things that have come out, come out of it, I won't lie, but there's still some things that I'm... Ugh. Well, let's get to the ugh, because you're actually going to hear me rip it for a second. On Saturday late afternoon, the New York Mets obviously was not a good game. They're playing from behind from the beginning, gave up the four runs early. They were down six to one. They got it to six to two. Then it's seven to two. Then it's seven to three. And they're showing a little bit of life in the ninth inning. Mark Canna singles and Daniel Vogelback is at the plate. And the Mets need a couple more base runners. And potentially they could get the tying run to the plate against Duvall. And Vogelback's having this great at bat, really good at bat. It's a 3-2 count eventually with Camilo Duvall. And then finally, they call a pitch clock violation. If you recall, Duvall was called for two of them against the Yankees the first weekend of the year. So this is a guy who's having a tough time adapting to the pitch clock. So they call a pitch clock violation. Great. First and second. One out. Beatty's coming up. The Mets are now one base runner away from bringing the tying run to the plate. And here comes Gabe Kapler to say, whoa, 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 stop the clock. <laughs> Stern fans may get that. And all of a sudden, the umpires meet up. And so the pitch clock, which is there to speed up the game, has now caused the game to stop in the ninth inning because a pitch clock violation is called. Then the umpires are meeting about the pitch clock, and they say, you know what? We effed up. We were supposed to stop the clock. We didn't. Buck then comes out to get his explanation. Meanwhile, Camilla Duvall's now throwing warm-up pitches. We have the pitch clock to speed up the game. And in this sequence, the ninth inning, with the game on the line, Vogelback thinks he's going to first base. Now he comes back, and we got to wait around for five minutes for these schmucks to figure out, is it a pitch clock violation, or should we start over? So eventually they decide... No pitch clock violation. Okay, three and two, throw a pitch. And what happens? Daniel Vogelback can't get his damn bat off the shoulder. Strike three right down the middle, two men down. That was very, very frustrating. If you're the umpires, can you figure this crap out? Because it, it, it's it's ironic. Like the whole point of the pitch clock is we're not stepping off, scratching balls, taking five minutes between pitches. Time how much time it took between the 3-2 pitch non-pitch clock violation to the actual 3-2 pitch that was strike three to Vogelbach. Felt like it took five minutes. So I thought that was a very bad and embarrassing moment, not only for the umpire and crew, but for the pitch clock. That's my first criticism of the pitch clock and the way it was handled by the umpires on Saturday afternoon. And that's why there should be a rule that um, uh, that managers cannot, quote-unquote, challenge or interfere with a pitch clock violation. That's got to be something from above, from New but, York. But it worked. But it worked. Yeah, but it's but you know what though? But but again, like the umpires should just have to move go go forward with the game and if someone from New York is or is checking in on it, they need to have a higher position for this spot because again, like you said, it worked. You could ch you could change it. It was wrong, but somebody else should be seeing it and it shouldn't come from the the managers. I think what bothered me was the moment it happened in the game because it went from ball four, first and second one out to three, two pitch fastball right down the middle, strike three call. 
So it went from a big spot where the Mets could rally to, okay, this game is essentially over. The other thing that happened in that ninth inning unrelated to the pitch clock that I thought was fascinating, and it, it goes back to something I said earlier about Buck, and now he has no confidence in Eduardo Escobar, is after Vogelbach strikes out, Brett Beatty singles. So the Mets now have, uh, and that drove a run in. So it's now 7-4. Beatty's on first two outs. One more base runner. Tying runs at the plate. The batter due up is Tomas Nito. Okay, easy. We're going to pinch hit for him. You've got four options on your bench. You've got Francisco Alvarez. You've got Tommy Pham. You've got Eduardo Escobar. And you have Luis Guillorme. Buck Showalter went with Luis Guillorme. I'm not saying that's the wrong answer, but it shows you how far Escobar has fallen. That, yes, it's a righty on the mound, so it's Escobar's weaker side these days, though then again, everything's his weaker side. But he chose to go with Guillorme over Escobar when all they needed was a base runner. If they were tying run at the plate, I think he manages it differently. Then he goes for Pop, may go to Alvarez, but probably goes to Escobar. But still, it shows you that while he may love Eduardo as a veteran leader, boy, the confidence in him is rock bottom. It is, and it also shows that this this bench is still very weak. In big spots, you listen. Guillermo's a contact hitter; we know that, and he's been okay. Puts bat on ball, but you still need a bigger bat to come in into to those spots. You just don't have them. You don't have enough of a bench. I, I really like Luis Guillermo. I think he's the kind of guy you want on your team. I'm telling you, man, it's being set up where he's the odd man out because. Ronnie Mauricio is learning other positions. If he learns other positions, then he plays the same positions as Luis Guillorme, except he gives you that potent bat. So while you lose something defensively, then again, I haven't seen Mauricio at shortstop second base. Uh, he played one game at third base. I think it was in the uh, winter league. So I can't tell you he's bad at those positions. I just know Luis Guillorme is brilliant at those positions, so I have a tough time imagining Mauricio's quite as good. But once there's confidence in Mauricio playing those positions, you bring him up, the odd guy outs Luis because it's redundant position-wise. But the only thing I'll say about that, and, and this is a bigger situation because, yeah, right, like Guillermo, it's all about options. We talked about John Curtis going down because he's got options. And right. bring, doesn't Brigham have options too? Maybe they send him yes. down because he's got options. It's all yeah. about options. Yeah. Well, Escobar doesn't have options, but also if he's not getting playing time, then what the hell is he doing on this team? I understand he's a great, yeah. he's a great leader on this team, but at some point it's like if you're not going to play him, he's just taking up space. Yeah, no, no. You will get to that point. If the manager isn't going to use him, <laughs> off the bench as a threat, then what's he doing here? I agree with you. He could be the other guy, but I think sometimes, like you mentioned, when you have options, it just becomes a little bit easier. By the way, Mauricio has been playing second base every day. Like every time I check the minor league uh, ballpark app, whatever the hell it's called, the minor league baseball app, and I check the box score at AAA, he's been at second base three, four games in a row. So clearly they're going to try to get him comfortable over at that position. But the game on Saturday sucked. Peterson wasn't good. They couldn't hit Logan Webb. And like I mentioned, and this was something from last year too, when Alonzo doesn't hit and Lindor doesn't hit, for the most part, team doesn't hit. 
So you go back to Saturday, Francisco Lindor, 0 for 4. Pete Alonzo, 0 for 4. You go to Sunday, Lindor, 1 for 4, did have the RBI double. Pete Alonzo, 0 for 4. So I wouldn't say it's a slump necessary because Alonzo had a big Friday night, drove in four runs. But since the four RBI outburst on Friday, Pete's backed it up with an 0 for 8. I think it's great for this team to get an off day. They've played a lot of baseball over the last couple of weeks. Get that off day, come back to New York, and hopefully get hot again and snap this two-game losing streak. They are playing a bad baseball team. And while there is that big four-game series against the Braves mixed in, listen to these opponents the Mets have coming up. This is an incredible stretch of games. They are about to play 23 games. Four of them are against Atlanta. Here are the other 19 games they play. You ready? 16 games they play, I should say. Seven against the Washington Nationals. Three of them coming up next week at City Field. They'll play four in D.C. in a couple of weeks. Three games in Detroit against the Tigers. Three games at City Field against the Colorado Rockies. Three games in Cincinnati against the Reds. These are bad baseball teams. You got to go beat them. It's right in front of you. See, even with the starting pitching issues that they're going to have for another week until they can get Scherzer back and Verlander back, which is all scheduled to happen in a little over a week. Uh, Scherzer should pitch that Monday afternoon against the Braves a week from Monday. And then Verlander, assuming they keep up with this, he's going to make a rehab start. And I'm against him making a rehab start. Call him up. Like, I'm serious. What? If you're only going to have them throw 70 pitches, okay, I'll take those 70 pitches against the Braves. I don't think he's trying any differently in a rehab game. He's going to try to throw hard. He's going to try to throw all his pitches. He's not effing around necessarily. I think in this day and age in baseball where getting innings out of your starters is such a rarity, plus you have the DH in the National League, F the rehab start. Bring them up. Four innings against the Braves. Let's go. I mean, let's be serious. Is it going to be who? Who are they going to bring in if it's not Verlander? Is it Peterson's going to get the start? Brito, whoever it's going to be. I mean, they're more likely to get blown up too. So give get four good, three, four good outings out of Verlander. Here's the way things are scheduled to go as of right now. Uh, they will announce somebody to pitch Tuesday because they want to give Senga the extra day. If they let Senga pitch on his fifth day, he would pitch Tuesday and Sunday with the Sunday game being against Atlanta. But because they want to give Senga an extra day, he won't face the Braves unless he pitches Monday. But the plan for Monday is Max Scherzer. So the plan to give Senga an extra day is fascinating in sort of this weird negative way, as if they're hiding him against Atlanta or afraid of him pitching on regular rest. So here's what this homestand looks like on paper, at least. TBD for Tuesday. I'm not sure if Budo's been down long enough for him to get the call. It may be a day off. I'm not sure. Tuesday, I'm sorry, Wednesday will be Kodai Senga against the Nationals with an extra day. Every start he's made has been with an extra day. Thursday against the Nationals, Joey Lucchese. Friday against the Braves, you want to set the tone? David Peterson. <laughs> and by the way, against Max Freed. That's where it's lining up. David Peterson against Max Freed. Friday night, City Field, Mets Braves. Saturday afternoon, Tyler McGill against Spencer Strider. Sunday, TBD. I, who knows? I don't know who the hell it would be. And then Monday would be Max Scherzer. 
If you don't want Max Scherzer to go Monday, like he needs an extra day, then it could be Kodai Senga. But it, it can't actually, yeah, I guess it could be Kodai Senga. But this is all a part of their plan to give him an extra day. Because if he pitches Wednesday, his extra day would be Tuesday, which is when he's going to pitch. I, it scares me that the Mets are scared of pitching Kodai Senga on regular rest. Because the way it's going to line up, is that he's never pitching on regular rest. It's almost like they've manipulated this, and it's going to get challenging, obviously, as the season rolls on, but they are really trying to avoid having pitch on four days rest. I'm not trying to be a jerk about this, but what's the big deal giving a shot once? Like, see how bad he gets. Because so far, he hasn't been, like, lights out where it's like, ooh, that extra day really is uh, helping here. Give him that. Screw it. Make it normal rest. See how it goes. I think they are delaying the inevitable because they were able to avoid it even on this stretch of games where they didn't have an off day. They're going to be able to manipulate things right now because they pushed him back. But eventually, he's going to have to pitch on his regular day. It's just going to happen. Right now, assuming Verlander makes that rehab start, which they basically said he's going to, his debut is looking like it's going to be May 3rd in Detroit against the Tigers, which is kind of cool going back to the old stomping grounds or on Thursday, May 4th. So at, at the end of the day, Verlander will have missed more than a month. That's, that's what we're looking at in terms of the Verlander injury. The other thing that was sort of strange is that I had read earlier today, I think Michael Meyer was the one who tweeted it, that Mark Vientos had been scratched. So it led to this speculation of, is he getting the call? Is Starling Marte hurt? Obviously, Marte was in the lineup, went one for four. Say so he's still playing. Why was Viento scratched? Apparently, he wasn't scratched. He was just getting an off day. One quick thing about Vientos, he's been tearing it up at AAA. He's at six home runs. All six home runs against right-handed pitching. All of them. So he's hit righties better than he's even hit lefties. So good for him. I mean, he's certainly earned his way up here. The question is, when is it going to happen? Uh, got an email that I think we should read. It came from an eight-year-old. Lieb Schachter writes, Hi, Evan. We love your show. I'm eight years old, and I have an idea for a topic. Can you say the top 10 pitchers in Met history, and if Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander are in it? Thank you. Well, first of all, Lieb, thank you very much for listening. Uh, knowing that an eight-year-old is downloading this podcast is a reminder that I should never curse. So I apologize if I have cursed, sometimes I get emotional. So there are two ways to answer that question. There's who are the greatest pitchers to ever pitch for the Mets, and it's who are the greatest pitchers who did it for the Mets. So what I mean by that is the Mets have had some incredible players come through this franchise over the course of their history. Pedro Martinez, for my money, may be the greatest pitcher I've ever seen. He pitched on the New York Mets. Would I count him? Warren Spahn, well before my time, well before your time, is one of the greatest left-handers in the history of baseball. At age 45, he pitched for the New York Mets. Do we count a guy like him? Nolan Ryan came up with the New York Mets. Had some success, certainly. Helped the Mets win the World Series in 1969, but he is most known for his dominance elsewhere with the Angels, with the Astros, with the Rangers. Would we include Nolan Ryan? And the reason I bring this up is if we were doing it that way, if we were saying, doesn't matter what they did for the Mets, who are the greatest pitchers to ever pitch for the New York Mets, 
then yeah, Scherzer and Verlander are up there, as is Tommy Glavin, <laughs> as is Pedro Martinez, Johan Santana, of course, Tom Seaver, Nolan Ryan, Warren Spahn. It's an incredible list, but I would take it as who are the greatest pitchers that did it for the New York Mets. So off the top of my head, without breaking down stats, without really super analyzing it, though we could do a podcast on it, I would say that George Thomas Seaver is the greatest pitcher to ever pitch for the New York Mets. I would say that Jacob DeGrom was an incredibly great New York Met. I would say that Dwight Gooden was a great New York Met. We're at three. Jerry Kuzman would be on that list. John Matlack would be on that list. Al Leiter would be on that list. Ronnie Darling would be on that list. David Cohn would be on that list. How many have I got to, by the way? Three, six, eight. I think that's eight. Yeah, you need two more. Hmm. Who else would I put on that list? Does it make a difference how long they were here for? Yeah, it's tough. I mean, it, it, it's a great question. Like, if you're great for a good... If you're great for a couple of years, is that enough? I don't know. I mean, it's it's really our own list. It's it's how we view it. It's how we want to put guys up there. Um, El Sid Fernandez has to be on that list. I apologize for not mentioning him earlier. Sid, if you end up looking at his numbers, he's he's up there in a lot of categories. So he would be up there too. Would I don't think Johan was dominant enough for a long enough time. I don't. Uh, Rick Reed, I thought was really, really good. That would be more of a sentimental thing. I'm not sure if he put the pelts on the wall. Um, yeah, I would leave it at nine. I would just keep those guys. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I'm forgetting somebody, but by the way, for Scherzer or Verlander to get on that list, they'd have to win the world series and they'd have to do something incredible in the postseason. I don't think there's enough time on their career arc left. For Verlander to have like what five dominant seasons, I, I just I can't see it happening. But in terms of great players that pitched for the New York Mets, absolutely, and that's it. In a lot of ways, that's a more fascinating list because there's so many great pitchers that just came through that door, that that walked through that door. Obviously, some of them we don't think of as fondly about. None none of us are going to think that fondly of Tom Glavin. That's for freaking sure. But in terms of Hall of Fame pitchers, I mean, Glavin's a Hall of Famer. Pedro's a Hall of Famer. Spawn's a Hall of Famer. Scherzer and Verlander would all be Hall of Famers. That'd be some list. We've had a lot of great players walk through that door. But a great question, Lee, and we definitely appreciate you listening. You can email the podcast, thericob at gmail.com, thericob at gmail.com. One thing we are going to do soon. I mentioned the pitch clock earlier to Pete because there was that incident in the midst of the Met game. There was a lot of debate. We had it on this pod. We had it on the fan talking about the pitch clock. It's the greatest. It's the worst. It's the greatest. It's the worst. There was one caller to WFAN who was very passionate against the pitch clock. And I said to Pete, get that guy's number. We should have like a a formal debate about it instead of, you know, 45 seconds when you call the radio station. But I didn't want to do that right away. I wanted to give it time. We need to watch baseball, watch the pitch clock, and then have a debate. As we approach one month into the season, which we're almost at, I think the time to have that debate is almost upon us. So we will have a more long-form debate around the pitch clock because we've seen it. Sometimes it's tough to, to, to just argue about something that's so hypothetical. We've had almost a month of baseball. 
We're about a week away from saying it's been a full month of Major League Baseball, and I think there's more of a sample size to talk about the good, the bad. Maybe your opinion's changed. Maybe you've come around, or maybe you've gotten more negative to it. So I'll have a further discussion on the pitch clock. But big week coming up, three games against the Nationals, and then four games against the Atlanta Braves, in which the Braves will have the starting pitching edge in a lot of those games as we laid out. But enjoy the fact that the New York Mets are only a half game out of first place and had a very successful 7-3 and West Coast trip. We appreciate you listening and downloading. I'll be on with Craig throughout the week at 2 o'clock. Pete with Tiki and Tierney. Rico Bronya. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronya podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times.